thoughts of me and uh, here we go again. Welcome to uh, Swing Thoughts, the podcast that is now a radio show that is also a podcast about the mental side of golf and all things golf, uh, hosted by a couple of nerds, golf geeks. Uh, my name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, part of the Bell Radio Network, and Tim O'Connor, mental performance coach and head coach of the Guelph Griffins golf team and my buddy. And we like to geek out about the uh, the game. As always, uh, good to be with you, Mr. O'Connor. Good to be with you. You know, I used to think being a geek or a nerd was a bad thing, but I've, I've really embraced my golf nerddom. I think it's an okay thing. It is an okay, and I, I'm glad to be along with you. This program always brought to you by TaylorMade Golf Man. Lots of TaylorMade talk on our show last week, and watching the uh, the pros from TaylorMade raise some big money last Sunday was interesting. We'll talk about that later. Uh, TaylorMade Performance Labs will be up and running in Woodbridge and Oakville. It really is one of those things, if it, both of us have had the uh, good fortune of experiencing that, and as golf, you know, nerds, it was amazing. Visit TaylorMadeFitting.ca to book the ultimate fitting experience with TaylorMade's Master Fitters. You know, try out the new Sim and Sim Max drivers, TaylorMadeGolf.ca, as well, uh, a couple bit of uh, little housekeeping, I guess, uh, before the program's over. We'll be excited to award a couple of dozen tailor-made golf balls to uh, some of our friends that uh, entered the contest, and uh, we can talk about that later. Uh, but let's get right to it. For uh, the last several years, this uh, gentleman and I uh, have been uh, friends, golf partners. Uh, he's made regular appearances on this program. You know, and it's kind of weird in a way because it used to be like, oh, everyone just... You know, say hi to Charles. But now, please welcome to our program, Dr. Dr. Charles Fitzsimmons, Academia, Academia, Academic. <laughs> Should we have on symphonic walk-on music Academy? for Dr. Fitzsimmons? He's an academic. He just finally finished his uh, thesis. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about that. Charles Fitz, Dr. Charles, what a, an honor to have you on our program once again. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. It's uh, I am uh, humbled and honored to uh, to be able to be on the show and uh, to once again uh, share in some golf nerddom with you guys. Well, Tim, you've competed. Well, I've competed with Charles and against him as a player, but you've competed against Charles, uh, who is a legend in Canadian university golf as well as a highly ranked uh, mid am and amateur. Um, but your experience as a coach playing against Charles, I mean, look. It's all full circle. Absolutely, it is. it is. But what I want to notice is, that, Charles, when are you going to get outfitted with like the ascot and the tweed jacket and all that stuff? You're just you're just a guy in a t-shirt today. So the whole doctor thing is, we'll just let that go. But when you're on the golf course, one thing I've noticed about you is that you just kind of amble around. You look like you're having a good time. You walk on a on a tee like, all right, let's have a good time. And I just think it's it's. I've always found that to be like a nice bit of fresh air. People thought it was like maybe arrogant, but I thought, eh, the guy's just going to have some fun. Yeah. And it seeps through everybody else. I've seen him on days when he's not having that much fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw him helicopter a club. No, I saw him helicopter a club at uh, in Ottawa. Anyway, we'll leave that for well, a no, I just want, I, Listen, he's one of the best golfers I've ever played with and one of the nicest guys, and, and you're going to hear some great stuff from him. But he's just like the rest of us. Every once in a while. Every <laughs> once in a while. 
We we all get there sometimes, and and don't worry, Tim. The uh, the elbow patch jacket uh, <laughs> and uh, corn pop pipe is is on order. It, it it comes with my degree as a mandatory kind of. Uh, well, you know, uh, but I think it's. I guess now to get a little serious, I think it's important to note that you know none of us and the three of us certainly spent a lot of time ruminating on the mental side of the game how to mitigate the many challenges the game presents, but we're all just human beings. There are moments where, you know, I'm legendarily, you know, melted down. So have you, Tim, and and I've been competing with Charles when, you know, hey, you have bad days. One of the things I always remember, though, and it's one of the, one of the things I've worked on and learned, I think, is that, yeah, there are shots, there are holes, there are moments that sting. You can't get away from it. It's just how long it stays with you is the key and you know sometimes when we're playing together and it's you know we have a little fun and you use humor we use humor to get ourselves out of that mode which is the basics or the basis i should say of your thesis that be so and, and i don't you know it's funny I, I apologize i know it's about humor in sports but does it actually have a name is it humor in sport uh, I, the official title was The Use of Humor in Intercollegiate Sport. Okay. So let's start there, and let's talk about why it's important, whether it's intercollegiate or interclub. But just give us some uh, the overview for sort of the layperson. Yeah, I mean, I think basically what it comes down to is, is humor is such a, a ubiquitous part of life. It is in every aspect, in every culture, and there's even signs of it in... Uh, animals for example and chimpanzees so it, it's a, it's just it's everywhere and yet it hasn't really been really studied in depth in uh in sport and so what we wanted to do my supervisor and i wanted to really look into and start to understand and create a little bit more background about how humor is used in sport and and some of the potential benefits which have been seen in areas like the workplace in terms of improving relationships and enhancing performance and things like that but also some of the potential downsides of it um, one, you know, that, that the possibility that humor can be used in the wrong way or at the wrong time or with the wrong people, and it can actually have some negative effects too, is something we really wanted to kind of weigh out and balance and, and help everyone to understand, uh, you know, how to, to use humor to create these beneficial results and, and how to be a little bit more aware of, of some of the, the downfalls that could be associated with uh, humor in, in different ways. So in looking at the, the positive aspects of it, one of the things in, in looking at your thesis, I saw self-enhancing humor and affiliative humor. Maybe just give us an example of what, what those two sort of categories mean. Yeah, for sure. So those are the big kind of two positive categories that tend to be associated with positive outcomes. Um, so self-enhancing humor is basically the ability to use humor to laugh off you know, the, the, the chances of life. It, it's very self-focused, but it's focused in a positive way. So, you know, maybe you get a, you hit a shot and you hit a sprinkler head and get a bad bounce. You're able to kind of laugh it off and just say, well, yeah, that, that's golf. It's, it's a crazy wild game and, and away it goes, right? Uh, you're able to kind of just find the humor in, in the absurdity of the way things happen sometimes. And that just helps you to kind of reframe it in a less threatening or less negative way. And, and that helps you to kind of move on from it. Um, so there's kind of a, a cognitive aspect, but there's also the emotional aspect uh, of just what the emotion would be called mirth, which is just that that feeling of humor and, and enjoyment. Um, the affiliative side is is much more interpersonal, and so that would be really beneficial to 
uh, enhancing relationships. And it's basically sharing stories or, or jokes kind of in a positive way between people and, and creating that, uh, that commonality of, of humor. Um, can be really, really effective in, in, like I said, establishing relationships. But interesting, it, that can also be really effective in helping to cope with challenges because social relationships and interactions are also or are usually the basis of a lot of coping. And so having strong relationships and being able to use humor in them can have a really big impact on coping as well. So both of them are, are really, really productive, positive forms of humor. You know, there's uh, I'm sorry, did you want to? Do a follow well, up, Tim. Do you want to have a follow up, or should we tend to just continue Uber. going back and forth? Do you want to follow up, Mister? Well, it's just the other two here that I just wanted, to, <laughs> particularly how they could use in golf. I could see. So you talked about aggressive humor and self defeating humor. So I could see aggressive humor would work. You got a match with somebody, and you get in their helmet. So you use some sarcasm. Right. Self-defeating humor, I think a lot of golfers use that in terms of the way they refer to themselves. Well, you know what? It's funny you say that. Before you answer, Charles, because I was going to say, you know, there's a phrase I, I, I love, uh, the phrase, there's truth in jest. And Tim and I, uh, we've all experienced playing with people that are sort of seemingly trying to be funny, but they're saying terrible things about themselves in a jokey way. and. I always take note of that because I know that there's what you're really saying is you do hate yourself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so how does, uh, to your point, Tim, like there's that kind of style where it's self-deprecating, but it's really self-defeating. Yeah, I, I think your, your point, Howard, about, you know, there, there's always that little hint of truth in there. Um, it, it speaks speaks volumes in terms of, of that self defeating humor, which really is it's it's interesting because it's actually meant self defeating humor specifically as it's defined is meant to actually help other people. So you're theoretically putting yourself down to make somebody else feel better, right? And so it's actually supposed to enhance relationships. But actually, what tends up what what tends to happen is not only do you you end up putting yourself down, which has lots of negative effects in terms of uh, pessimism. You know, increases pessimism and, and increases chances of depression and things like that. And it also tends to make the other person feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So it actually has this kind of unintended consequence of actually pushing people away from you because they kind of go, uh, "I don't. This is weird. You're putting yourself down, and I'm now I'm just uncomfortable." And what so, do you want me to do with that information? Let me ask you a question, oh, yeah. Tim. I have a question for you because you coach younger players as well. And, you know, you're coaching, you know, guys my age. But, you know, it's like sometimes people will say, well, am I supposed to have a, a positive attitude? You know, and it seems sort of fake and false. But what do you tell people in terms of maybe giving themselves a bit of a pass and, and not not taking it so seriously, I guess is what I'm arriving at. Well, at the end of the day, I, I always like to ask golfers, whatever age you are, why do you play golf? <laughs> you know, is it really uh, life and death? Is it really about cure for cancer stuff? No, we're out here to have some fun. Yes, indeed. Most really top golfers, so the type of players that Charles uh, plays with, uh, who are on uh, the teams we are with, Charles with Western, me with Guelph, these are mostly really high-level athletes. So, So they're very serious about it. But it gets to a point where you take it too seriously, and then it's it's the uh, diminishing returns, if mm -hmm. you will. So it's kind of like, yeah, play well. But honestly, when you're focused on having a balance of fun and competing, it's that. You have some freedom, fun, and you tend to play better. What's your, How's that land for you, Charles? 
certainly the idea of uh, <laughs> finding a balance there is is always really good. Um, I mean, the idea that uh, it's okay to to be upset at, at times, but it's also important to to find joy in in the pieces that you can control and the pieces that you do enjoy out there. Um, I think finding that that balance is is critical, right? And it's it's different for every person, um, but being able to to work through and, and kind of like Howard said, give yourself a little bit of leeway out there where, you know, we, we realize that, that bigger things happen. You know, we always talk about, for example, when, when people, guys on the PGA Tour have their first kid and all of a sudden they break through and they win. And it's not because they're practicing more. If anything, they're practicing less, but it's because all of a sudden there's a bigger perspective. You know, no matter what happens on the golf course, they get to go home to this beautiful young baby and, and life is good. And that perspective all of a sudden changes the way they think about golf. And so I think that that leeway to, to understand that, you know, there's there's bigger things in life and, and uh, frees you up to just go out there and kind of play your best. I just wonder, I've always been curious because, you know, you and I, you know, I've had these conversations in various places in various you know circumstances and knowing that you've been working on this i was curious to finally get to see the document and it's very dense it's a very it's a i don't mean that in a bad way it's very dense it's too but it's a very serious study of humor as it's used in so many different applications like one of the things i noticed you were talking to uh, a girl's uh, university team about you know when they use humor you know get together in the hotel the night before the tournament in the locker room out of the locker room and I thought you know it's interesting how much humor permeates all of our athletic interactivity and the level at which a team can kind of laugh with with each other and I'm getting the to connect this to the last dance I don't know if you guys have watched the the Michael Jordan the Chicago Bulls. But you see how much needling goes on, how much I mean, Jordan's kind of a prick. Let's just be honest. I mean, but but he he needled his teammates. And his theory was, if you can't handle me in practice, how are you going to handle the game? But you get to see a real good example of how dynamics work when humor is part of it. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I haven't seen The Last Dance yet, but I've, I've heard lots about it. It's on my uh, it's on my list of things to watch. But um Certainly, especially in, in male sport, that aggressive humor is, is much more prevalent. Um, and like you said, it, it can be used to hurt other people's performance, right? It's the classic kind of trash talk in sport. And, and I think what you said there about Michael Jordan trying to kind of prepare his teammates and, and get it, get, getting them to practice dealing with that kind of trash talk and that aggressive humor uh, is probably a, a really important to their long-term success, right? But going back to your original point, just the the way humor permeates like you said every part of of sport team sport uh you know you all university sport has a team aspect so that that makes it kind of a unique uh a, a unique area to study that way but it, it really does permeate everything and it, it's funny you know you talked about it being very dense when i first started learning about the study of humor the the professor in in my undergraduate degree said listen we're going to be studying humor but it's not going to be fun <laughs> that's right Okay, on that point, then <clears throat> a lot of people think that when they're sarcastic, hey, aren't I funny? You know, but what's your view on sarcasm and how it how it can be really negative? 
Yeah, it, it, it really can be, and, and it can really damage relationships between people because um, some people are willing to dissociate and see it as the humor that it, it may be intended as, and a lot of other people see through it to what Howard said earlier in terms of the, the truth in, in humor, right? And, and they kind of see through that, and they actually take it very personally. And and so that sarcasm is a, is a really, really kind of double-edged sword that, that people have to be worried about. And it's not just about saying it's good or bad. It, it's so much more contextual. It's about kind of knowing knowing the audience and knowing who you're engaging with. I mean, Howard and I can go back and forth and be sarcastically. Uh, oh, can we? <laughs> for, for the end of time, but that's, yeah. But you have a solid relationship. I- exactly, we have a solid relationship. But even even still, if you if you're able to read the people, you might have somebody that you've never really met, but you can just kind of tell that they can kind of handle it and, and kind of pick up on it and. You can jump right in and have a lot of fun with somebody right that way. And actually, if you can share sarcastic humor, it's a really quick way of bonding because you both know, okay, we can kind of handle it and deal with it. But you really have to be careful because, like you said, Tim, uh, it can really come across the wrong way and and, uh, come across really negatively. I think the the old saying is sarcasm is the the lowest form of wit, right? Exactly. Well, and it's, it's the one that's accessible to the greatest number of people under the umbrella of humor because all you have to do is change your tone of voice and it it's almost like oh you think that's funny um but <laughs> but relationships you know if somebody heard Charles and I talk to each other and didn't know that we were you know we had a, a foundation you'd think wow that's kind of mean but it's the it's that that we sort of have an understanding that this is as, we can go this far and still have fun it's when you meet somebody and as you said, you're not sure. In a golf context, that can come out as, you know, being sort of mean-spirited if they hit one sideways. But ultimately, what I'm getting at is, I think the evolution, I can only say personally, of me becoming a better tournament player, and I'm being quite honest, is learning to laugh at yourself. And as I've gotten older, listen, I've been making fun of stuff my whole life. But not so much of myself. Self-deprecating, yes. But when other people would make fun of me, I couldn't laugh at it with the same abandon that I might do now. And I think those two are connected. That you you can have a better time golfing if you can just be a little kinder to yourself as a person. Yeah, I, I think, and that, and that speaks to the fact that you know the number one rule I have is golf is hard. And, and the more we can kind of remember that golf is this crazy hard sport, you know, Robin Williams talked about in his, his rant on golf of how it's designed. I won't go into the, the full version, but, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's just a crazy game that we play with a crooked stick trying to hit a, a ball into a gopher hole hundreds of yards away. And uh, it, it just it, it it can just tear you up. But if you if you're able to take that step back and, like you said, have a little bit of kindness and, and kind of laugh at the ridiculousness of the sport sometimes that really helps you to just kind of create that space and be mm-hmm. able to kind of roll up those punches that are that are just there, right? Humor is amazing. Some of the f- best times I've ever had have been at a wake. <laughs> you know, you just, you're kind of raw. The stuff's going on, and you could make a joke even about our dearly departed. And you can just kill yourself. It's really fun because, as we said, it's a balance. But you can also use humor in a, in a way, uh, like if you're playing in a, two-person match to keep things light you see your buddy's getting kind of down after a bad shot eh, you bring him up with a with a good laugh but i gotta also think that caddies who know how to use humor would be one of the most sought after types on the pga or lpga tour yeah 
Without a doubt, and I think, you know, certainly one of the areas that I've, I've looked into going is trying to help caddies understand that and help players and caddies develop better relationships from a kind of an applied consulting perspective. Oh, yeah, uh, but, I think you could do a lot of great work. Yeah, I, I, I certainly uh, hope I have the opportunity to uh, to use some of my uh, dense knowledge. In, in humor, <laughs> That's as, right. As Howard would put it. but uh, That was an example of humor. <laughs> yeah, you know, by the way, it was so funny because I was telling my girlfriend, I said, I'm going to write, I was saying to Rachel, I'm going to write Charles back, but I'm just going to put annotations on every second word. Uh, see also Glassman's thesis on. But, but being kinder to yourself opens you up to being, I think, more aware, at least I can talk about it for myself, about how absurd some of the crap that happens to you in a round of golf really is like, it's really, and, and you're, you're, that's one of my favorite things. The foundation of the Fitzsimmons method, I call it is (laughs) to to just remind yourself constantly. It's the hardest game ever invented. And the fact that all three of us have gotten decent to very good at it is remarkable. And and should be celebrated. Yes, because we play. Listen, we we all play with people that have a horrible time doing this thing, ourselves included at times. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I always go back to the the way you kind of see a little kid on the driving range, right? And a little kid's hitting on the driving range and they hit a couple of low worm burners and all that kind of stuff. And they don't care. They just pull another ball over. And then they get one airborne and hit it kind of pure and their arms go up and they're just celebrating like they've (laughs) won the greatest trophy in the history of sport. And I, I think, you know, tapping back into that that joy of kind of reminding ourselves, you know, we can still celebrate great golf shots. You know, as we become better golfers, we start to expect great golf shots and kind of learn to hate bad shots. And, and I think the more we, we learn to, to continue to celebrate those good shots, because it is still difficult to do, um, the more we can really kind of enjoy it. And certainly I think that was what Tiger was always so famous for, was celebrating his good shots, right? And there's a whole impact on confidence and all kinds yep. of fun that we could we could dive into but timmy what did you well i was interested just so you mentioned tiger so tiger's whole model as we saw throughout the most of his career focus you know just eyes ahead no laughing at all now it's a different tiger but you can you can achieve both ways lee trevino was always the joking guy but you sir have done so well the last couple of years in your amateur career. You won the Canadian University Golf Championship. And you look like you're just having a good time out there. You're not this study in seriousness. So how has that, I don't know, awareness around humor, or is it also combined with a sense of detachment? Yeah, it's... um it's a little bit of both, I would say, in terms of, you know, I, I do try and be very serious and very focused, but for very short periods of time, mm-hmm. right? It's that little moment there where I really try and zone in and, and hit a great shot and get focused in. But the rest of the time, you know, I'm out there just trying to, to enjoy the fact that, you know, we get to, to play this crazy game and, and enjoy life that way, right? So it's, um, it's certainly a, a balance between kind of detaching from the results and, and having fun with the experience, but but still getting serious for that moment and, and really trying to zone in and and hit a great golf shot. You know, it's just that idea of hit one great golf shot at a time and kind of go and try to do it again. Well, I can tell you from being around you and, and a lot of the stuff that Tim and I have talked about, you know, you can have high level golf happen while you're alternately being pretty infantile <laughs> yeah i think because i think there was a round at the very end of last season before i played in the senior that i was you me gortner 
and our buddy Tim Southcott. The group, the group handicap was like zero or plus one. We all shot really low that night. You remember there was tons of birdies, and you and I eagled the same hole. And at the end of it, but in between, there was so much chaos. If you would, if you would watched that group, you would have thought we were just screwing around. But also, like I said, we played very well that night. Uh, all of us did. And it was a real good lesson in like, okay, let's concentrate. I want to beat you. But in between, I want to make fun of you and myself as well, you know? Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful balance when it's achieved and, and can have great, great uh, benefits on the performance as well as the enjoyment side. Well, listen, Dr. Charles Fitzsimmons, founder and mental coach, Eclipse Performance, eclipseperformance.ca. Uh, you can get a hold of Charles there, eclipseperformance.ca. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for your joy. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for having me on, guys. It's an absolute blast, as always. And uh, keep up the, the great work and all that good stuff. And, yeah, and thanks just, to TaylorMade, too. Yes, thank you to TaylorMade. Uh, yeah, we all, you. my hey, goodness. Hey, yeah. Dr. Fitzsimmons, but you'll always be Fitzy to me. All right, boys. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> Hang on a second, Charles. Uh, this is Swing Thoughts. Good to be with you. The podcast and now the radio show on TSN 1150 Hamilton. Sound of the river, you're stopping your whole everything. A band is blowing Dixon. You get a shiver in the And welcome back to our second segment here on Swing Thoughts. For four years, we've been doing a golf podcast about the mental side of the game, mental performance. Coach Tim O'Connor's with me, golf spiritual leader, Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. The show is brought to you by TaylorMade Golf, TaylorMadeGolf.ca. We're going to be talking about TaylorMade on the uh, big uh, TaylorMade for TV event. And we'll be giving away uh, some uh, tailor-made golf balls. What are the balls that you're using? Those uh, the ones that Ricky Fowler was using. What are those called? TP five picks. T TP five picks. Okay. They got this. They got these little, almost like uh, triangles on them. Very and, cool. And and when you uh, put when you line up with like the TP five arrows, when you hit a pure putt, they just roll so so cool i th i'm not i don't know if i'm going to use them all the time but uh certainly on the practice screen and for warm-ups they're really it's really helpful to see how you're rolling it yeah it really does it's funny because they did a, they had a couple of close-ups of ricky fowler in that match team taylor made uh, we talked a lot about it last week um you you see how pure <laughs> it really gives you a visual kind of uh, sense of how purely he rolls the golf ball and why he's such a good putter. Uh, this uh, program, again, as I mentioned, Taylor made the all-new Sim Max and Sim Max OS irons. Distance you have to feel to believe. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the new Echo Damping System and Speed Bridge technology. And uh, in the next uh, few minutes, we'll announce the uh, winners of our uh, TaylorMade contest you get a couple of dozen balls, a dozen each, to a couple lucky Swing Thoughts uh, friends. Uh, it was a great segment there with Dr. Charles talking about humor in golf. And uh, it can be a very, um, 
serious thing, this game. And people, we take it very seriously and get very angry all the time. And uh, it can be really a drag when you're in a group. And listen, I've been that guy where you're the guy that everyone's a little bit uh, like, oh, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> why is he? You could hang a coat on that bottom lip. Yeah, why is he always so mad? And uh, now that I've become golf spiritual leader, and I'm not like that generally anymore. Although we all we all have moments when oh, I yeah. when I'm with when I'm with people that are. I don't know. I wanted to ask you because we sort of briefed uh, this before the show started. It, it makes now it makes me uncomfortable, and but I also feel great empathy for the struggle of that person. What about you? I feel empathy, but there's nothing I can do on the golf course when someone's in the throes of self-deprecation and, you know, coming close to lacerating their wrists. It really is because they're so self-identified and there's nothing I could say, you know, okay, listen, Joe, can we just talk just man-to-man for a minute? <laughs> no, right. it ain't going to work. So <laughs> maybe afterwards, you know, it's just like you see something in someone's backswing. The worst thing you can do is on 11th hole go, you know, you take it way outside. Yeah. <laughs> that's just not going to Let me help. just tell you something that's going to screw you up for the next couple of hours. Yeah. No, I just follow my dad's advice, and that is don't feed fuel to a fire. So I just basically, when someone's like that, I ignore them. Just I find the trees very fascinating. <laughs> Uh, you know, what I would ask you as a coach, uh, I, I think I know the answer, but for the benefit of others listening, like, okay, so you're with someone like that, and, and they say, hey, Tim, I'd like some help. I know this is uh, basic, but we've been doing the show for four years, but there's new people all the time. So kind of like, you know, as I described to you before the show, I, I played recently with somebody that you could just tell they were not enjoying themselves from the first hole. And that was uh, puzzling to me because it was the first hole they'd played since November. So what would your expectations be? But very soon they fall into the trap of, you know, moaning and whining and bitching. And so after the round, what do you do if that person says, Tim, I need some help? Well, I'll come back to the old standby. And it's always, why do you play golf? Really? And and it's not just in the, in the typical quest, um, response will be, uh, I want to be my best self. I want to lower my handicap. They end up sounding like a TV commercial. I always ask, go a little bit deeper than that. When did you get introduced to golf? When did you get excited about it? What was it like playing, say, with your dad or your mom or something like that? What are the what are the most fun you ever had on a golf course? And generally, they'll talk about maybe playing junior golf and everyone falling down laughing after a very bad shot or just feeling connected to somebody as they played. And, and for a lot of guys, it's their dad. And when you connect to that stuff, that's where golf, that's where it really lives in you. But what happens is we tend, we carry all this baggage of all this past stuff from family of origin, our wounds, our feelings, our stories, our memories, our shadows. And that stuff tends to get caught up in our, in, in, in folk, it distracts us because now we start identifying with it. So if I don't play well, I'm a I'm not only a bad golfer, I'm a bad person. And you're none of that. So when we when we connect with what's really important, which is generally our why, then we can kind of keep balance and go, oh, I'm doing that thing again. I'm I'm doing that thing, but you know, I'm gonna be the guys are all gonna think I'm a crappy golfer. Hey folks, no one cares about you. <laughs> they're all yeah, focused no on, on how bad they're doing. Uh, there's so much in there that I love, you know, and again, I, you know, I, I've been on this 
I, I, if I hear one more person in my life say journey, I'm going to slap myself. But uh, Can they say practice? Can yeah, say practice? I, I've been on this practice a long time. <laughs> you know, really a long, long time. And, and the guy that we were on the call with about a week ago uh, with Fred Shoemaker. Fred Shoemaker really is responsible, along with Bob Rotella, for me to sort of pivot away from being that guy. When I see that guy that I played with the other day, just really hating himself and 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 I, I i feel bad for him because i know what that feels like and one of the things fred said on that call that i love and it, it always resonates with me is do you think you'll be a better person will you be better are you a better person if you shoot 81 versus 85 or whatever the number is in your head but i watched that man play 18 holes after our very first time after the lockdown and all that stuff and you you think that You'd think at least in that circumstance you could be delighted by the idea that you're out of captivity for a while. But right away you make a double and and then it starts. And I think to myself, like, how important do you think making a number on a whole is? It really isn't. You know? Yeah, I, I relate to that. So uh, last Saturday was my, uh, so a week ago from when the show goes live. Yep. Played my first round of golf in 2020. Same with me. Man, I was like a six-year-old <laughs> Christmas morning. Uh, I even played Born to be Wild while I was playing. Whatever, I actually turned on my phone, had that's the music funny. going, and yanked it into the woods. But that's okay. <laughs> but for the that's a tough the- first tee shot at your course, though. I don't like it. There you go. Yeah, it's unfair. It's no. not fair. <laughs> For the first few holes, man, I'm not kidding. I was walking along going, I'm playing golf. Yeah. Yahoo. And, but on the back nine, I was starting to get tired. And, you know, wasn't I hit it that great. And the voice, that voice that's been visiting me and revisiting me for 30, 40 years of golf, it came back. And I was, but what I was able to do is go, oh, it's you again, old friend. <laughs> well, you know what? I got this. I'll just ignore you. I'll pay attention to my partners. I'm going to look around. I'm going to breathe this amazing spring air and yeah. able to just put it on pause. You know, it's funny. I That was our first round, too, at our course. And uh, with the restrictions, you know, not being able to go to the range till 20 minutes before. So I, instead of getting to the golf course like I normally would an hour and a half early and grind away, I, I did my golf yoga here the mark williamson our guest a few months ago or a month and a half ago so i did my yoga here for golf and then i got there didn't hit very many balls barely hit a few putts i was like you i was just sort of a it sort of seems surreal that i was a great word for that that i was actually out walking along this thing that i love so much you know and and again, I felt bad because the guy I was playing with was literally wanking from the first hole on. But a funny thing happened to me. I, I kind of went along and made a bunch of bogeys. I didn't make my first par until the sixth hole, but I had made a birdie. So, you know, at that point, I'd made four bogeys and a birdie, and then I'm parred the sixth hole. And, and then the weird thing happened was I just kind of kept on going at that point. With three holes to go, I, <laughs> this is so funny. I didn't tell you this. I'm under par for the back nine. I'm only one over for the whole round at this point because I've made four birdies and I started to get nervous. Like, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, what is happening? Me, literally meaningless round. First and game I, of the year. First game of the year. <laughs> and with three holes to go, I started to get those. Okay, I'm, I'm playing good. What should I? D-? And I said to myself, okay, listen, man, 
This is just a story. Let's let's make sure you're breathing. And I did, and I paid attention to every shot, not what it meant. And I had a putt on the last hole to shoot even par. And I, I said to myself, doesn't matter what it's for, just go through your routine. And I had to do that mm-hmm. for a round that really, you know, I was playing with, you know, uh, in a little competition, but it mean, didn't mean that much. The point being, all those things come up even for for you and I, and and, I, and all we do is think about these things. But it's how you deal with them when they come up. Yeah, well, I'm going to connect with what uh, our good friends George McNamara from Pennsylvania, a devotee of Fred Shoemaker, and what they say. It's the reason you are able to play at the level that you do, Howard, You know, a scratch player, is that you have more awareness than I do, and you have more awareness than another player. Like You have the awareness of, oh, this part kind of means something to me but i'm able to just push it in the background because i have enough awareness to know that if i think about this i decrease my chances of playing well so what do i need to do i need to focus on my routine and by focusing on your routine you're able to perform because now you're able to in essence distract the conscious part of your mind and just let it go well i'll tell you something that increased awareness and increased amount of reps but one, other player. but one thing that you've said to me or we've talked about on the show that I started to think about, and again, this is a good takeaway uh, at whatever level you're playing, because we all, we all know my brothers will talk about great rounds that they've played. And I always say, when did you know? When did you realize? Was it on the 16th hole that you had a career nine going or whatever it is? But we all come to that moment. What I always say is something you said. It's as simple as just feeling your feet walking. Because what that does, is, you know, Doolin talks about eyes up, you know, on the horizon. But I started thinking about that, Tim. I started thinking, okay, I'll just be very aware that I'm walking along and I'm, I know I'm playing well. And I, and I, part of this story, as I wanted to say, I was under par on nine holes. The first, you know, I mean, I had, a, I had it all going, you know? Yeah. But I, I thought of what you say about just if you can just pay attention to something else. And before I knew it, it was time to hit the next shot. And I paid attention to my walking and my breathing. And before I knew it, as Charles, we were saying in the first segment, I'll take it seriously for that 18 seconds that it takes for me to get ready to hit that shot. And then after that, I'm just looking around like everybody else, you know? It's back to the circus. It's back to the, it's back to the circus is right. Uh, it's amazing how much chaos uh, can happen. Yeah, well, that's really cool. I had so I'm doing these uh, webinars called Obedience Training for Your Brain, and the key thing that I talk about for people is, you know, how do you control the thoughts? You know, the thought thought could be I suck. The thought could be how do I cure this slice, or how do I get to that? How do I get to the clubhouse at even par? Yeah, you know, I got a good game going, and I was just talking about, and you demonstrated it there. In essence, you distract your conscious mind because you can't. Your mind can only be on one thing at a time. So if you're focused on your feet landing, you're completely in the present moment because your body's always in the present moment. The thoughts are always generally in the future. So it's just a great technique, and it's nothing that's all that hard to do. It's just where am I paying attention? Oh, I'm going to put it on my feet, and I start to think. Okay, I'm going to put it maybe in my thighs. Okay, now I'm going to look at the horizon. Oh, I'm thinking again. Okay, I'm back on the trees. It's just back and forth continuously. But it's a skill, man. Yeah. Skill well, of awareness. 
a friend of mine. It's interesting. It's funny when you see people come to something. Like it was a few years ago, I read Ten uh, Percent Happier, uh, Dan Harris's book. Started meditating, and, I, and I've been pretty regular. I meditate. Rachel and I, after yoga, will sit and do 15 minutes, depending on the day. And this friend of mine started to ask me about meditation. And I said, you know, my mind gets distracted the entire time. My mind's distracted. It's the act of bringing it back, of noticing when it goes away, at least from my understanding. And I want to get your take on this. That's the practice. Because we're all going to be distracted by, you know... What tip was I thinking about, you know, or what, what does this score mean? Or why is that guy being a dick? But it's the noticing and bringing it back is kind of the sweet spot of it. 100%. It's the skill of awareness is, is if my intention is to be focused on my breath when I'm meditating and then I go, oh, I'm thinking about the phone call I need to make to George. Where do I want my focus to be on my breathing? Bring it back. That's the skill of awareness. I'm walking along the 17th tee, and I'm thinking, gosh, that tee shot on 18. Oh, wait a sec. I just noticed I'm thinking about the shot on 18. Where do I want to be? I want to be right here. So I'm going to put my focus on, say, my breath as I'm walking. It's the skill of awareness. And the, the issue is for a lot of people where they're not even aware that they're immersed in this thinking. It's like they're caught in a river of thought. And they're just being swept along, and they don't even realize they are in the river. And that what by using awareness, by noticing, oh, I'm thinking, they in fact, no, just go with this metaphor. I love it. No, <laughs> they I, could I, walk, they could, they could swim to the side of the river, climb up on the bank, and watch the river. Yes. Which is, in essence, they're not in the river. They're observing it, and they're witnessing it. And it's something detached from themselves and go like, oh, my mind wants to focus on not screwing up 18, but I need to take care of business on 17. Right. Um, again, there's so much in there that uh, here, here's I'll give you a, a sort of a, a technical takeaway from what Tim just said and see what you think of this, Timmy. If I said, hey, buddy, it's 165 yards, uh, downhill par three. Uh, you probably hit your seven iron. You know, most people are seven or six iron. And because in your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to hit this thing about 165 yards. And you're focused on a target because it's right there. It's only it's only 165 yards away. And that's why most people with a seven iron, six iron or whatever on a tee generally make a better swing than they do with their driver. And here's why. Because if you ask most players... Okay, this is a hole. It's 420 or 390. It's dog leg right. All they're thinking is, I'm going to hit this as hard as I can. <laughs> and uh, and I want to hit it as far as I can. And not and because the target's so far out there, we tend not to be as focused on it. And so I was having this conversation with my older brother. He was saying, oh, I'm having trouble with my driver. I said, they're having trouble because you're not thinking I want to hit this 235 or 45 yards. Your thoughts are, I'm going to crush this thing. And I can tell you as a little golf hack, if you can have the same focused target awareness intention with your driver as you do with your 7-iron off a tee on a downwind, downhill par 3, you'll find yourself more in the fairway or more in play than just wailing away at it. Yeah. 
That's a great golf hack. And I think golf hack. <laughs> I think what it comes down to is I think what they call your the 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 really smart psychological people like uh, Fitzy will say it's your locus of attention. In essence, what are you focused on? So when you're on a par three, you're you're you got a flag down there. Yep. And your conscious mind is focused on that. Whereas when you're with a driver, a lot of people if it's try and hit it as hard as I can. Well, there's no distinct target. That's and so right. what are they thinking about? Or they, they might be thinking about how fast they have to swing their hands or how big a turn I'm going to make. And that as soon as we're thinking about what we're doing, that's self-interference. So, yeah. So the thing, the thing that you can do with your driver is, okay, what am I focused on? Okay, it might be that tree over there. And it could also be, what's the shape I'm going to hit this? Right. And have that same locus of attention. Well, I will tell you if I, you know, there's a, a hole at, um, I think it's a Weston and, and a couple of years ago when I was still playing with the kids and the invitational there, you know, you know, we're playing that par three and it was two forty five, and it's a, you know, that's a big hit for me, you know, downwind, maybe I can get my three to the front ish, you know, but I've played it. And I've also, maybe I can get my hybrid. doesn't matter what I, my point is, I generally hit that green, and I'll tell you why, because I'm trying to hit it 230 yards-ish, 235. And, uh, and for some, and so what I would say is part of my hack about driving is, think about the number two as well. Like, I told my brother, I said, yeah, you might once in a while hit it 260, but generally you probably hit your driver between 230 and 245. So aim to hit it that many yards and you'll find yourself hitting it around that many yards more often and i think it's what you said because because you are now as Rotella said you're narrowing the target and you're making it smaller it's not just that tree but it's that tree at 238 yeah Interesting. So in one of my webinars this week, this guy was saying, like, he hates three putting. And, of course, everyone does. He says, so what's the focus when you're you know, a long-distance putt? And I said, well, try to make it. Yeah. And this whole thing about get it within a three-foot circle, no. And I got this from Rotella. You want to be focused on something distinct and as small as possible. So you want to make the putt because your body goes, oh. It, it, there's no conflicted signal. There's no indistinction here. It goes, send it to that hole. So one thing I want to ask you, connected, maybe not, is that you were saying that last week when you played, you had that very nice round, you know, first round of the year, et cetera, that you were swinging at about 70%. Yeah. Tell me what that did for you. Well... You know, I, I told you my goal before going out, obviously, is going to enjoy myself. But I, I, you know, after talking to Fred Shoemaker that night, and I was just thinking about the speed at which I, I need to swing to get it to go the distance I want. But one of the things that Fred said was an average tour player is just putting less effort <clears throat> than the average amateur. Oh, yeah. uh, and achieving, you know, because effort translates, you know, tension and all that stuff. And, and so... You know, I just thought to myself, okay, you know, I usually swing pretty hard, especially with my driver. I'm as guilty as anyone. But I thought, okay, what's the rhythm? And and I tell you, the player I had in mind was the late Payne Stewart. Because oh, wow. that was a very rhythmical, languid motion. And I would just finish by saying, and we're going to have to wrap up soon. I'd finish by saying that rhythm on the golf course 
I know we're talking about focus, technique, breathing. But as far as your motion goes, you're better off thinking rhythmically than technically. How about feeling rhythmic? Feeling rhythmically. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the same, Timmy, for, for long-distance putting. I always say to myself, you know, it's that Carl Morris thing. What, where does this ball have to travel to go in the hole? But what's the rhythm? What's the stroke feel like? Because that's more important than whether you hit the face of the club. And you can be aware of that. Yes. If, if you're feeling it, you're aware, you're connected to the physical club, the physical ball. But if you're thinking... You're disconnected from your body. Uh, very well said. Hey, we'd like to congratulate uh, two Swing Thoughts listeners, uh, Ian Service, <clears throat> pardon me, and Rudra Rishi Maharaj, both long-term, uh, long-time fans of the show. We certainly appreciate them. And thanks to TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Uh, we'll get them uh, TP5 or the uh, picks, a uh, dozen of golf balls, and, you know, that's what you need to start the season? Yes, yeah, so in our first contest. Yay! Yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, quickly, uh, we're doing this show on Saturday. So tomorrow, uh, Tiger and Brady versus Peyton and, and Phil. Or is that the, have I got the quarterbacks mixed up? Like, who's on Tiger's team? I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It doesn't really matter. I'm not even sure I'm going to watch it. I will say this. I'm not going to watch it. The first one was horrible. This one will be... Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm just not a Mickelson fan. Yeah, me neither. I'll tell you what I will say. If you're if you're looking for some golf, there's a um, golf channel show Sunday night at 8, and it's a uh, golf films production of the Tiger Slam, where he won all four majors in a row. That is worth watching. So we'll have a look at that. Uh, once again, Tim O'Connor. O'ConnorGolf.ca is where you get a hold of him. Uh, look for his blogs and coaching and webinars and hosting. And you can catch me uh, Monday through Friday at HumbleandFredRadio.com. Until next time, thanks to TSN 1150. It's Swing Thoughts. Shiver in the dark. It's raining in the park. The meantime. Sound of the river. You're stopping your whole everything.